Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. Australia is seen as one of the world's top coronavirus mitigation success stories, but there's been a recent spike in new cases and the global pandemic has hit its economy with unemployment rising to just over 7% in May. So how are its property markets holding up? Joining me to discuss this from our Australia team are Ben Burston, Chief Economist, Ben Schubert, National Head of Agency, and Andrea Roberts, National Head of Leasing. As it's the first time we've had two people with the same name on this podcast, just to be very clear, we're going to kick off with Ben Burston, Chief Economist, to start with. So Ben, clearly Australia has managed the virus effectively so far, but what can you tell us about the country's economic performance and how it's impacting its real estate market? Sure, Anna. It's true. Australia has done well and certainly on a relative basis, keeping the virus under control. There's now just under 500 active cases. So that's well down on the peak level and certainly well down to what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis. We, The number of new cases emerging peaked in late March. So since then, we saw a drastic decline during April as the impact of the movement restrictions took effect. And thankfully, they were, were very effective. So that number of active cases has declined to the point now where we're now seeing the unwinding movement restrictions and we certainly hope that we're past the worst of the economic impact. A positive story there in terms of keeping the virus under control, but it still has had a very negative economic impact. We hope we're through the worst of that and that period of weakness though will mean that we have some big negative numbers for Q2 on the whole. We did pretty well in the first quarter of the year compared to other countries. Australia saw a decline of GDP of 0.3%, but we will see a very significant contraction during Q2 with major impact on a number of sectors, most obviously retail, tourism, and the education sector as well. All of those sectors felt the brunt of the movement restrictions. And it's fair to say that we, you mentioned their unemployment. The official number has that at 7.1%, but I think that reflects the definition of unemployment, only those that have actually registered for job search. There's certainly a feeling that the underlying level of underemployment is significantly higher than that. The team's recently produced a quite interesting report on capital markets, which basically indicated that activity was 33% below levels that have been seen in recent years, and that was for April. Benji, but I don't know if you might be able to just give us an idea of how activity has gone since then and whether levels are picking up a bit across offices and industrial retail and hotels. Thanks, Anna. It's fair to say as COVID hit Australia, the market ground to a halt. A number of deals that were in exclusive due diligence periods kind of fell over instantly. We went through a period where there was not a lot happening, but kind of a lot of talk between clients and agents around where to from here. Pleasing to say that we are now starting to get to a point where we're starting to see assets come to market. We are preparing a number of different assets from a passive office building to a multi-led office building to a development site, which will give us a really good understanding of where the market sits. But I don't really want to say post-COVID because the effects are obviously still here. So the good news is we are going to see assets test the market. My personal view is that those that are robust income profiles, good quality tenant covenants will do okay. But those with risk, whether it be tenancy, refurbishment or market risk, you know, may take a little bit more to sell than they would have pre-COVID. In terms of the asset classes, there's no doubt the industrial logistics sector has held up the best. There's been a number of corporate sale and leaseback 
portfolios which are either in the market or have gone through. The most high profile, which was the Aldi portfolio of circa 650 million, a number of assets with seven-year leasebacks to Aldi went through at 4.65% is our understanding. So that demonstrates the kind of robust nature of those industrial or logistics profile properties that have good quality tenant covenants and long leases. Just wondered how you saw the current crisis now compared to the global financial recession, whether activity levels are significantly lower than even in the financial crisis. I think the major difference is we're seeing assets come to market, whereas during the GFC, there was a period of stagnation where there was not a lot happening for a fair period of time, whereas, you know, we're only kind of three months post when things really kicked in with covid we're already starting to see, you know, Knight Frank is preparing circa $850 million worth of assets to bring to market in different markets. So we're already seeing that activity. A number of them, actually all of them, there's no distress. So these are owners that are choosing to bring their assets to market. Whereas because of the sudden thud, I guess, of the GFC and the difference where we are in terms of debt levels, the average debt levels, people will be able to hold on in this crisis, whereas there was a number of distressed sales fairly quickly in the GFC, post-GFC. Ben Burston, what's your perspective on this? Just in terms of if we're looking at this current situation compared to the GFC, what differences do you think there are at this time? Well, I think they're very different events in that what we have is, is a health crisis, which has been brought on very suddenly, whereas the GFC and indeed past recessions that we've had in some ways have reflected a period of excess and a lot of leverage, particularly in, in property markets, whereas we haven't had that this time. So I think the market dynamics quite different, whereas the GFC, there was a lot of indebtedness high leverage in property at that time, which was then difficult to unwind and took a lot of time. Whereas this time, I think reflecting some of the comments Ben has made about the demand ready to strike a bit sooner than it would have been post-GFC, there's, a, there's a more of a weight of capital in the market now. And the market hasn't been driven by debt capital in the same way. There's a level of equity capital sitting on the sidelines that'll be ready to be active very quickly. So we would expect a quicker recovery. Andrea, turning to the leasing market, you recently contributed to a Bloomberg article about the return to work in Sydney. What can you tell us about how the city is managing this and what do you think it could offer to the rest of the world in terms of lessons they might be able to learn? We're working through the second stage of a return to work roadmap set out by the government. The complexity in Australia is all the states and territories have jurisdiction about how the specifics of those can be implemented So actually, the cities are in different stages. So I'll just talk about really Sydney. It feels on the street like it's the period that we have around Christmas time where there's really just skeleton staff in the city and it even feels probably even a little bit less than that. In our building, for example, there were concerns that when we moved on to stage two, which means we can have 50 people on a floor of about 1,600 square metres, We could only get four people up in a lift at one time. There was concern there would be gridlock in traffic and that you'd have massive queues. I haven't had to wait in the last four weeks for a lift a single time. So the return to work has been much slower than expected. And a lot of the reason for that is people are really reticent to commute. They don't want to get on public transport. Yes, you can drive into the city, but car parking availability in Sydney, there's just not the capacity to accommodate anywhere near, I don't know, even probably 30% of the people that would come into work. 
and it's probably cost prohibitive as well. So the commute factor is really, I think, causing a delay in that getting people back into the streets and back into the buildings because it feels like on average buildings are maybe 10 to 25% occupancy-wise. As Ben mentioned earlier, the story in Melbourne is quite different. They're not allowed to return to work at all. So there's actually no activity going on there at all. People aren't actually in the CBD. Do you think could there be a solution in perhaps using serviced offices to offer employers a more flexible option? I suppose for those that are reticent to commute, maybe if employers could rely on sort of pop-up flexible offices that are close to people's homes, would that be an option or is that being looked at? I think that will start to be a trend. At the moment in the metro markets, there isn't a serious or a significant footprint in serviced offices or co-working. I think that these operators were starting to look at that pre-COVID and now all deals have just really gone on hold. But I see that the metro markets are the markets where we are actually seeing more activity than the CBD and I think the reason for that is driving there and parking is a non-issue and people really do not want to spend time commuting when they've realised that in the work from home scenario that valuable time can be used doing you know better lifestyle options, spending time with family or doing exercise. So I definitely think we call it the hub and spoke model that there will be different accommodation solutions in the CBD and in the metro markets, but they don't exist at the moment. So that's probably something that will have to evolve over time. Thank you, Andrea. Ben Burston, just touching back on the capital markets report, I just wondered what your view was on activity levels. If activity was, as we discussed previously, 33% below levels seen in recent years, I mean, do you think that that's likely to improve anytime soon? I do think it's likely to improve. I think reflecting the comments I made about the state of the economy during the current quarter, it's been obviously a very difficult time over the past few months, but I think many will be looking ahead. I'll be seeing that we are now lifting movement restrictions for the most part. Domestic tourism is now coming back. I think more generally consumer confidence is starting to return. So there will be, of course, an ongoing lagged impact of higher unemployment, but I do think people are starting to look ahead to the recovery and certainly we feel there's the strong prospect of recovery for the economy and for the market more generally in 2021. But as Andrea said, it won't be in exactly the same way as before. There will be behavioural shifts in a number of markets. Just to finish, it'd be great to get all of your views on the key themes that you think property investors should be watching out for over the next few weeks and months. Andrea, just starting with you, just wondered sort of what you're keeping an eye on and what you think investors should be aware of. We're very closely monitoring the levels of sublease space. That is quite high, particularly in Sydney at the moment. And we think that as organisations reassess how their workplace patterns evolve as the return to work actually gets implemented, that that number will increase. We see that there's probably a real opportunity for landlords to maybe put their foot in the pool really around creating their own flexible workspace options, particularly if you've got a portfolio where you could create the site or the space for your customers in metropolitan markets within your own portfolio, because we really see that building relationships with your customers now, while they need flexibility because they're not able to make long-term 
decisions is really how you're going to retain them in your portfolio. And if you do that, you'll increase tenant retention and therefore your performance. So if I was an investor, I'd be really focused on that, those long-term relationships and trying to minimise downtime in the future. Benji, but how about yourself, perhaps on the office investment market or indeed logistics? And are there any key trends that you're looking out for over the next few weeks? Yeah, I'd just be keeping a close eye on the occupier market. We are at a point in time where we're not really sure how quickly the occupier market is going to bounce back. So the assets that we're taking to market that have long weighted lease durations will obviously be much easier to take to market because they have that commitment. Whereas if an owner is taking to market an asset which has a mixed lease profile that has near-term expiries, that's where things might be under a little more pressure. So I'd be keeping a close pulse on what the occupier market looks like in order to assess value, particularly in uh, core plus opportunities. And Ben Burston, are there any other closing remarks from you just on what investors should be looking out for, perhaps more from an economic perspective? Sure. Well, I think they should be looking at the potential market shifts and the opportunity arising from that. I mean, Andrea mentioned that we would expect to see more hub and spoke portfolios emerging. So I think there's opportunity to be had at looking at parts of the market that might be discounted at the moment, perhaps urban fringe and suburban locations that have the potential to become the sorts of spokes that she referred to there. I think there's also opportunity in in growing sectors like data centres, like build to rent in a more uncertain economic climate. I think more people will be renting for a while longer. And so we are already seeing in Melbourne in particular, the emergence of a much stronger build to rent sector than we've seen in the past. And of course, the fact that we're all working from home with greater reliance on technology solutions means that it's thrown a spotlight on the importance of data and the importance of bandwidth generally. And I think data centers is another growth opportunity linked to the structural shift in the economy toward the greater importance of tech. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Mm-hmm.